Welcome to the In Awe Podcast, where we amplify women and empower a community through the mission and their message. I am your host, Sarah Johnson, English teacher and school principal turned author and entrepreneur, living my own leap of faith on a mission to teach masses. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook at at Sarah S.A. Johnson. Be sure to subscribe to the In Awe Podcast so you can join me each week as I feature women who will leave us all in awe of their impact on our world. Welcome back to the In Awe Podcast and our very first interview on this new series on perseverance in the month of October 2022. Our guiding quote for the series is, success is not the absence of failure, it is the persistence through failure by Aisha Tyler. And I'll tell you, friends, this interview and this life story of the incredible guests that I have to share with you to kick us off is such a powerful example of that persistence. Marilyn Jones was born in Costa Rica and moved to Wisconsin when she was 12 years old. Her experiences as an immigrant have marked her identity and helped define her mission in life. As a Latina in higher ed, her mission is to serve and empower others, especially students of color, through knowledge, resources, and by nurturing the talents and passions. Her mission centers on relationships built on trust and support. It is a reaffirmation of her love for community, justice, respect for diversity, and for leading from a place of authenticity where fear has no place. Marilyn is an assistant professor in the Department of Spanish Language and Culture at Cardinal Stritch University. In addition, she currently chairs the Humanities Division there. At Marquette University, she earned her master's degree in contemporary Latin American literature and bachelor's degree in sociology and Spanish literature. She is currently completing her PhD in leadership at Stritch. Her teaching and research interests include interpreting studies and pedagogy, the Black diaspora, construction and articulation of Black identity in Central America, and representations of outsider or marginalized subjects in literature. In this episode, we discuss Marilyn's life-changing struggles that she persevered through that now positively impact her character and life mission. She explains the importance of surrounding yourself with people that will love and support you, and Marilyn vulnerably describes an experience that previously caused her shame but truly led her to the fulfilling place she is in now. Friends, I am so excited to share with you Marilyn Jones. As you will learn, we met in our program together at Cardinal Stritch University, and I will tell you that every single time I interact with her, I take something very special away. Way, and I know that this interview will be no different for you. It is with great honor and joy that I share with you Marilyn Jones's perseverance story. Welcome, Marilyn Jones, to the In Awe podcast. I am so excited to have you. I'm thrilled to be here and uh, honored, humbled, and super excited. Thank you for having me. Oh, well, we are in the presence of wisdom and greatness on this show today. <laughs> Friends, you are going to love Marilyn. I bet not as much as I do yet, but you're going to be great friends by the time we're done with this interview. And I wanted to share before we started, we have actually had another one of our cohort members on the podcast recently, Vanessa, which is really exciting. But Marilyn and I met approximately a year ago. Is that accurate? Yes. Last yeah, fall semester a year ago. Time flies. But we were in the same doctoral studies group. And I guess to provide a little context of that, we spent, I mean, almost every week together virtually. <laughs> right yeah. from here. Yes, discussing the world, thinking about how we're going to change it and make it better and make ourselves better leaders, right? That's beautiful. And I am just so grateful. And I share a lot about you know, my journey on this podcast, but I just wanted to say publicly that one of the best parts of my own persevering through the doctoral studies program is this study team. I am so grateful for you all. And specifically, Marilyn, for you have been very soft landing space for me and kind of helped me just to feel calm and kind of regulated and honestly wanting to stick with it just to be with you all. <laughs> 
you know, I'm glad that I can be that for you, but you know, it's just that process of elevating, uplifting, and just being there for each other, right? And I, mm-hmm. I, you, Vanessa, Jeff, Chris, you all do that for me and for the other team members. You are right, Sarah. We're blessed. Yeah. Uh, that's the word I would use, blessed. We are blessed. insanely blessed. And now listeners of this podcast are super blessed. So getting back to this, we have to hear, <laughs> I read your bio at the beginning. That's just one little chunk of who you are, of course. But would you want to share with us your current context, what you're up to in this beautiful world of ours? Yes, I'm a higher ed educator. I work at Cardinal Stritch University. I am currently the chairs of the humanities division, which means I work with amazing colleagues in English, philosophy, religious studies. In my area is the Department of uh, Spanish Language and Cultures. So I have amazing students, Sarah. They, and what I do is something I love. So I think that I'm living the dream, <laughs> being a <laughs> professor and working with students who are so dedicated and so willing to to make a difference in in their community so that's where I'm at Cardinal Street University that's beautiful I love how much joy you bring to it too and Mm -hmm. come on you're too humble can we talk about the fact that you received quite the honor last spring in your title will you share that (laughs) yes this is what makes it amazing right is that you you get you can get different awards right but there is one particular award that comes from the students so I received the, the award. It's the faculty of the year. And it came from the students themselves. And that, that just reaffirms that what I'm doing and, and, and how thankful I am for being where I'm at. Thank you for sharing that. Well, congratulations. <laughs> I'm really proud of you. And it is awesome. And each time we've ever talked about that, which has now has been a total of two, you just come at it so humbly. And I love that. You're right. We can get awards. Those that have deeper meaning certainly would be from the ones that we serve the most. And you clearly are in it for your students. So yay. Congratulations. So we have to get into a little bit about your story. I'm curious. I specifically wanted to have you here on the perseverance and kicking off with you is really powerful. And so would you be willing to just share what you think your idea of perseverance is? Sure. Well, I obviously it's just my personal definition and and it keeps changing, but but something I've learned throughout this time, right, of, of going through so many different things. I can share a little bit more later, but I came here to the United States when I was 12 years old. I did not know English. I was the first one doing a lot of things in my family, right, like going to college, interpreting for them and helping them navigate a very grown-up world, right, when I was 12 years old. And, um, you know, there were a lot of challenges, and my world changed when I was 12 years old. And, um, you know, I've gone through a lot of experiences. So then going to college and being the first one in my family to do that and being the first one to get a master's and then being the first one to enroll in a PhD program. I, that's my story, a little bit of my story. But in the process, what I've come to see is that, you know, it's not just like things get difficult, that yes, you want to keep trying again, but you have to do it with, from a different mindset each time. And that's where the learning part comes. And I'm an educator, right? And to me, that means always reflecting on the process. So when I think of perseverance, I see it, you know, with that ability to learn from your experiences, to not give up, to put into practice that new knowledge and just have the courage 
to face those challenges, even failures, defeat. From my experiences, I saw a lot of injustice. It's really hard to do those things on a regular basis, right? Why are people, you know, treating my parents like this because they have an accent? Why do they see me as, uh, you know, less of a human? Because I was an undocumented immigrant. Why my my accent? Because I don't say things the same way. Because I, I don't have the same knowledge. Why, right? It's hard to persevere when you're doing things that are painful and challenging. But when you put what you've learned, right? And you use it again and you then involve courage. You kind of like redefine your goals and how you're going to approach things. And that's hope to me. So one thing leads to another. So to me, you can only do, you know, really hard things and not get tired when when you have all of those steps. But the reflecting part is what to me is perseverance. Can't just do things over and over and over and not change anything, right? Darn it, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I wish, right? I right. wish, yes. But not? then things would never get better, right? And you wouldn't right. be able to accomplish so much with what you've been able to. And I just find your definition and your personal experience so deeply inspiring. I cannot believe the piece of you that I just learned, which is 12 years old. And so did you have any siblings? Or are you the oldest? Like, what's that background? Well, the, that's. That's an important question, I think, as a Latina, right? In, in a family of Latinos, I was the old, I'm the oldest daughter. I have an oldest brother and a younger sister and brother. But being the girl in the family, right, um, it meant I had to step up and, yes, uh, take over a lot of things while my parents were just being amazing and mm-hmm. redefining themselves in a new country. So mm-hmm. lots of responsibilities at 12 when I was 12. Yeah, it's just such a, a powerful piece um, when we weave in the concept of culture and mm-hmm. age development and mm-hmm. yes. totally relocating and thinking about my listeners. Most are in the K-12 mm-hmm. education system and just thinking about the supports or the lack of supports for mm-hmm. a 12-year-old in that scenario trying to take on so much. I can and I can understand why so much of your passion has been poured back into uplifting and supporting the students and the community specifically in the area that you are in. But I'm just I'm I'm kind of processing how to even go away from this because it's so right. deep and it's so a part of who you are. And I'm just curious, uh, you didn't I don't think you shared which country you came from well, to the United States. I, Did I you? have to say first of all, pura vida. Pura Vida, yes. Pura Vida. I'm Costa Rican, a beautiful country in Central America. Mm. And I was 12 when I moved here. So now you need to share why you said that and what that means so that our listeners can gain from that. Pura Vida, pure life. That phrase is a way of life for Costa Rican people, right? And we're called ticos, right? It's just a way of life. Pura Vida is, to me, is everything is going to be okay. Everything's going to work out. You have to have faith in things that they're going to be okay. So in a way, it's having faith that things are going to work out, but also living life to the fullest. Mm. So pura vida, live your life to the fullest. At least that's what it means to me, you know? But Mm -hmm. I think it also has to do with the fact that my country is so beautiful. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have a large uh, biodiversity, right? It's such a small country, but, you know, we're so rich when it comes to natural resources and the people are warm and, you know, welcoming. 
Live long lives. Yes, thank you. And we do. <laughs> we have a long life expectancy, by the way. That's a fact in certain areas. So. Well, it's funny. I just wanted to segue not to take this about me, but when you and I first met, that was one of the pieces that you shared. And I had, it's so funny. I just think paths align when they should for reasons. And I shared this with Marilyn prior to recording. I know that we were put in the same study team, that you just helped me so much keep myself centered. The taking this doctoral studies program really isn't a choice or an achievement or a goal I'm trying to make. It's a spiritual direction for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm still trying to figure out why in the world I've been guided to do this intense program. And yet every time I connect with you, and the very first time we connected, I had asked you about that because (laughs) I had been in a program for, of all things, on the treadmill for running. And I was running in Costa Rica, right? Like virtually. And then I don't even know if I shared this with you, but in my new life and my new role as a library media specialist, one of the seniors that I had a really strong connection with last year ended up going to Costa Rica last year with on a family trip for his grad Mm -hmm. gift and young man of humble, humble means and and why in the world they chose Costa Rica. I still don't even know, but I told him, you know, Hey, look for that. Look for what you see on this mantra and tell me. And and he came back and he's like, yeah, people say it everywhere. And then he was giving me examples and (laughs) just made me think of you. So I just think our lives are so inextricably tied in such beautiful ways. And I'm curious too, um, when you talk about being an undocumented immigrant Mm -hmm. and the Mm -hmm. things that, and the injustices that you've seen, Mm-hmm. And, you know, those challenges of being a 12-year-old and this idea of perseverance, how did you end up <laughs> to the space you are now of coming um, from having a first language that's different to all the way up through the academic system to this level? I mean, that's a huge amount of perseverance in the academic world alone. I didn't you? do it by myself, Sarah. No. I had an amazing community. That was there too. And that's part of my mission. It, it, it's funny you mentioned that because when I think of my own mission, it's just that idea of wanting to, to duplicate the love, right? And the example that I got from my community, especially at that age, right? So I, I don't only want to share the gifts, the talents that I have and I've come to understand that I have, right? But it's just giving back and empowering people because Sarah, I only did it because I had people along the way who saw something in me. I didn't see it, that change, that that identity, loss, conflict. It's very hard at 12 years or at any age, right? But it's very hard and you don't know you're going through it. I felt like I I was just uprooted and they stole something from me. My parents brought me here and we, you know, like any other immigrant, we came here because we were trying to find the American dream, right? We were struggling in Costa Rica and my parents wanted to give me and my siblings an education. But that process stole so much from me. I remember my grandpa, mi abuelito, right? Mm -hmm. Telling me, oh, Marilyn, you know, you're the leader of the house. Tu llevas la batuta, the baton, you carry it. And when I came here, Sarah, I felt like, my God, I'm going to fail at everything. I don't even know the language and I felt so lost. You know, when I even see my students, this idea of like, I don't belong here and I don't belong over there because they also lost that connection with their homeland, right? When immigrants come here. And thank God I had people along the way who who inspired me, who even with my accent thought that I could teach, that I had a story to share. Look at you today. I'm so thankful to you, Sarah, for this space so that others can hear this. But I was given the space, the platform 
the opportunities to share my story. That's how I did it. And I'm very thankful to God. And that's what I want to do in my life. I want to give back to especially, you know, the new generation and make their path a little bit easier. It, it was a lot of sacrifice. It was a lot of always not trying to be perfect because that's, that was the idea. You have to be perfect, Marilyn. So, you know, like you never make a mistake and get sent back home. You have to be perfect because you have to show that, yeah, you belong to be in that honors program. For example, when I was doing my undergraduate work, all these things always proving that I deserve to be here because I was an immigrant, that I'm smart because I have an accent. It's draining. But I had people who gave me opportunities, who opened doors, who even like created a path for me. So that's how, Sarah, that's how it happened. It explains so much too when you put it in perspective culturally and then all the pressure, you know, having to be the leader at 12 and on and kind of earning your place. Mm, right. <laughs> it just, I'm inspired and also just, it just breaks my heart. So I'm grateful for you to share the story so that we can all learn, including me. And I'm so deeply curious about this idea of culturally the oldest female being mm -hmm. in charge. Do you want to share a little mm -hmm. bit about that so we can learn? Yes. So being the oldest in your house means that when your parents are not home, you're in charge. Mm -hmm. I was cooking. I was calling, um, you know, different places to help my parents interpret. I was translating legal documents. I, it's, you know, there are a lot of um, expectations that come with that role. And that doesn't even include the fact that, you know, the gender expectations, right, that come with it. Um, girls, you know, having to behave a certain way. I remember my parents never allowed me to, to you know, go, go to parties without them or, you know, I had to go with my sister and my brother or, you know, leaving the house to go, to go for sleepovers, right? Um, it's so many expectations with that come with being the first or the oldest um, girl, right? it's yeah there's a lot of that I remember even being in college you know and having to tell my mom that I needed to meet with a group <laughs> to study or do a presentation and she's like why why so late you know like uh, it's funny I was talking about this with my students yesterday they want you to succeed but there are all these other expectations that they still hold on to that makes mm. it so hard to mm -hmm. function in this in this society, in the United States, the majority society, right? And those are the things that you're always negotiating as a as an immigrant and as the first girl, right, in in the family or the oldest, to, you know, the first one to go to college or the oldest of the family it can be quite challenging. It sounds like it, and I'm kind of chuckling because <laughs> I'm the youngest, and so oh. and of course, different culture. And just such a different lived experience in that way where <laughs> I say my parents, they're amazing, but I'm super independent, I think, because they were just so tired. <laughs> right? That's the way to look at it. You're too pooped parent anymore, right? So it's your, you know, that that independence came in a different way for me. Um, but it's, it's just fascinating to hear, too, this... Uh, the, the challenges of interpreting because, you know, you had the same language barrier, but mm -hmm. is the difference that you were in the school system and being taught 
right. English as a second language. Exactly. Exactly. I, yes, I was very fortunate to be in a school where they had an ESL program, where they had bilingual education, and I was learning both, right, in both languages, but still given the opportunity to, you know, show my capacities in my own language, in my mm-hmm. native language, which sometimes when we don't do that, you know, that disconnects the immigrant or the person, right, even further from their culture. So it's in it that actually hearing that is inspiring and also a challenge issued because so few of us have strong ESL programs in our school systems. And it's so unfair when you think about that. Um, mm-hmm. When you talk about the injustices, mm-hmm. is that a piece of something you saw or that you've seen? I mean, your students, by the time they come to you at the university, have, probably have wide-ranging experiences. Um, mm-hmm. What are some of the things you would share with us in terms mm-hmm. of insight there? This is a very good question because what I see is what drives me to be a better professor and to even rethink the programs and the courses that we create. So I see a lot of students who, you know, have gone through the, a bilingual program or an ESL program, you know, and there's, they're trying so much to, to do well in society, right, that they, have, haven't, they haven't had the chance to reconnect with their culture. And they're trying to do that. Or, you know, they, we have uh, those students that are, you know, trying to learn the Spanish language because they were not taught for different reasons, right? Their parents were protecting them in a way. So they wanted them to speak English, but not Spanish because, you know, that the stereotypes and the realities, the discrimination that they might face because of, you know, them speaking Spanish. I see a little bit of everything, Sarah, but my goal is to do a lot of different things, right? I have students who want to learn Spanish to connect with the Spanish speaking uh, people that they serve in their communities. For some of them, that is their culture. So I'm encouraging them to go back. And just like I did myself, this happened to me in college. I reconnected with my culture, the beauty of my language, and the differences across uh, Spanish-speaking countries. I fell in love with all of that. No wonder I did literature, right? But even in the interpreting and translation program, I see what are the learning gaps, you know, for these students going through ESL or like um, bilingual programs or any program, right? And my goal is to find ways to teach better, to create better programs that, you know, highlight the talents that they already bring to the program and polish skills and develop skills that they need to be better professionals. I love how your own experiences can inform how you serve, but it's, you of course know that there's wide ranging experiences and you can just use it, use some of your, you know, experiences and help you to persevere through those challenges of educating the youth today, right? Because they're not the same as, right? Mm -hmm. And I learned so much from them, Sarah. That's, that's the thing. They, they, you know, they have helped me see the world today because me Mm -hmm. being an immigrant, you know, like I said, undocumented, I'm privileged now to be documented, right? But there are a lot of students on you know, everywhere on campus and different universities and in our community who, you know, are still struggling to, to you know, be recognized as contributing members of society. We have DACA students right now whose lives are, you know, pending again, like uh, what's going to happen with DACA? It's, mm. it's, you know, they allow me to see the world as it is today. So I'm always learning from them and adjusting. Like I said, perseverance is about adjusting and reflecting, right? 
So they helped me do that. And I'm thankful for them. And I want to be better for them. So lucky. (laughs) We're all so lucky to have you. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. Can we shift gears a little bit? I think one of the pieces of your story that is so deeply inspiring is kind of what we uncovered in our discovery together as we were studying last year this concept of dare to lead, right? And one of the things that you shared with our study team was your own persevering journey in your own academic world. So I'm curious if you'd be willing to share some of the revelations you could about your own pursuit of the doctoral studies program. Yes, this is not my first PhD program <laughs> that I'm in, Sarah. So that's, that's where they, the story begins, right? I was at a different PhD program in, in literature, and I loved it. And um, it just got to be too much sometimes without oversharing, right? But it just got to be too much personally, emotionally, and I could not finish. I went through the entire, you know, prelims, defending my proposal, becoming ADD, and then writing and rewriting and all of that. But it just got to a point where it was too much. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, choosing that or my own health and my ability to continue to be a mother and the professional that I wanted to be. It was too much. And Sarah, three years ago, I couldn't have shared this story. Mm -hmm. I'm sharing it today because of the leadership program that I'm in right now with you. And you're right. We read uh, uh, Brene Brown's work, right? Mm -hmm. And she encourages us to talk about shame. I felt so much shame. I felt I had disappointed so many people when, you know, people who had invested time in me. To complete this other PhD program, I, I felt like a failure. That was not the Marilyn, like me, abuelito, my grandpa saw, right? Like that in college, the 4.0 student, the honor student, what happened? I couldn't understand what was going on, Sarah, at the time, but it was really hard. So, you know, people sometimes think that, oh, giving up is so easy. That was the hardest, most painful decision I've, I've made, I think, hmm. and the most shameful one. But you know what? I am glad I did because it's changed my path and it's changed the person who I am today. I did not know this, but sometimes, you know, life calls you and brings you back to the place where you want to be. And I feel like going from this other PhD program to this one and now focusing on what it means to be a leader and how we construct relationships with other people coming from a place of compassion or respect. It's very interesting. That was the learning gap in my life. I think, you know, I can be an amazing scholar. I think I can be, you know, a great student and finish. But somehow, to be where I am today, I needed those other skills and life was calling me to that. So, you know, in the process, I was so happy that I had family who didn't abandon me. That's why I said family, community and family is so important, right? They didn't stop loving me. They actually gave me the space and then they gave me the support I needed to heal. In that healing process, Sarah, I, I learned something very, very important, you know, that I, my worth, my value doesn't come from, you know, the degrees, all the things I have achieved. 
those were things that I was learning to do so that I could show other people that I belong. I learned in the process that, you know, my value and my definition doesn't come from the people who do not value me mm. as a person and my skills. It's actually the contrary. It's the impact, the love that you give others, the love that you get. Oh, that was hard, Sarah. <laughs> That journey has not been easy, but I can talk about it today without feeling shame. I actually very empowered and I feel, I hope other people who listen to this story and had to stop something they love so much, come to terms with that and see that perhaps life is moving you to other places, mm-hmm. you know, other ways to be a better person. And guess what? I had other people there who, like, it's crazy I'm doing a PhD again, right? Don't you think? Like, why am I going through this? <laughs> I, I had people there telling me, Marilyn, you can keep going. There are other ways to find your dreams and reconnect with your goals. And perhaps this is the path that you need to be on. And I gave it a chance and very scared. Not even sure why, you know, I gave it a chance and I'm loving every minute of it. It's so good to hear. And Mm -hmm. I'm, as I listen to your honestly brief description of what is clearly a deep chapter for you, that there's so many layers here. When you talk about who you are as a person, just needing to achieve, um, but also clearly a intellectual academic person who probably you just love to learn, but mm-hmm. the pieces of you that had to press yourself to achieve, to, like you said, feel like you had to earn something is something that was put on you in the circumstances of your journey, you know, here. And it would be too easy to just keep that um, story going in your mind, as Brene Brown says, mm-hmm. that story that you keep telling yourself, mm-hmm. you know, that you were told, the messages you received all around were that you had to complete things, you know, and then it was never going to end, right? <laughs> because right. It was not going to be Especially in the path that you chose, right? In the world of academia, the world of academia, aside from any other cultural layer, does that to us, doesn't mm-hmm. it? does it can break you yeah you know and sometimes I think that is sadly the point like if I did it you can do it if I suffer you can you should too so that you know what the sacrifice is like and and, and, no excuse me (laughs) no each generation will face their own challenges why have them go through the same thing and then catch up we are here creating paths so people can run, not walk slowly like we have, uh, some of us, you know? That's so beautiful. I just, I'm so proud of you and I'm deeply honored that you'd be willing to share that, especially given the revelation that you wouldn't have been able to talk about it two years ago and that we are here. It's just such a, it's a story that I hold preciously for you that, and we know that you can listen back to this podcast episode a year or two from now and feel a deeper sense of reflection and accomplishment knowing that you were able to make this step and then the next ones become easier. But also 
I don't know about you, but I've learned in my lifetime that I feel like I can conquer something and heal only to have it like a pattern be brought back to me in another way. The lesson, <laughs> maybe mm-hmm. we talked about this mm-hmm. too, like those lessons just keep coming back in different yeah. ways. So while this one, you know, you might, uh, I'm so excited that you're healing and you might be able to get through this in, in this corner of your life, that there's going to be another one. And that right. if we could only just strive to keep ourselves open and continue to talk and surround ourselves with the good people that are there to bring us to the you know final version of whatever that looks like before we pass on from this side, right? But right. you just are such a powerful example of that persevering attitude and that idea that you can shift a gear and still reach a goal. I find you to be deeply inspiring. Sarah, I I thank you so much. And you know, the, the feeling is mutual because what you're doing with the podcast is exactly what I want to do, right? In my education field, empower others, share stories and create community. So I admire you too for what you do. Thank you. And you just giving back to me basically what my mission is just made my entire life right now. (laughs) Well, I'm seeing it. That's what I see. Going back to this idea of what we see in each other that sometimes we don't, right? So, Mm, Yes. And, you know, the other pieces that I think one more thing I'd like to say before we move forward is the idea of perseverance is having this deeply embedded passion and purpose and mission Mm -hmm. while kind of getting stuck in the mire of the grind of the routine in the day, right? Right. We just can't ever let loose that uh, piece of us that we know we're supposed to give to the world. But it's so hard when, yeah things just start to pile on and, and, you know, the snow comes every year here in Wisconsin. Yeah. But anyway, I just, uh, listening to you and, and just hearing your story reinvigorates my sense of purpose too. And so I just appreciate you. And I know that you've done this for the listeners today too. I am 100% sure of that. All right. So are you ready for my two standard questions? I think I am. I think I am. Yay. Okay. So if you could write a letter to yourself at any age or stage, what would you say? Hmm, Sarah, Sarah, this question makes me want to just cry, cry so much. And, and it's a cry and tears probably of joy too, but it's hard, right? So I don't know. Um, I would go back to my 12-year-old self for sure, you know, and I would, you know, be very clear about the fact that, you know, life is going to be hard. Being an undocumented immigrant, not knowing the language, you know, being in a world that people tell you it's not yours and always being doubted and questioned and, you know, it's going to be very hard. But, you know, like we were saying before, you have to surround with people who will remind you of your great your greatness. I like the word poderosa, right, that we're starting to see more and more. Um, you need to, powerful, right? You need to have people like that to pick you up at your lowest and when, when you're struggling to see that greatness. I would tell my 12-year-old self, you know, do not let other expectations and pressures define you. You need to find your own place and your live experience is what makes you unique. So embrace them. I used to call my accent my demon, right? Because I struggle with that. I now feel so proud so, girl, Marilyn Machita, right? That's what my parents call me. Please love yourself. Oh, please remember, you're not what other people define you. That's what I would say. 
and do not let 20 years go by without understanding what it means to live with your heart and your mind and from a place of love. Mm-hmm. So don't stop being courageous. Don't stop being a good person. Don't stop being caring and let compassion define you as a person, as a professional, as a loving mother, wife, um, daughter, every role in your life. You got me a little choked up listening to that. Uh, if you were ever <laughs> worried that your heart wasn't open with vulnerability, I can guarantee you that that's evidence that it is wide open. And I just thank you so much. And I also feel like I have to tell you that one of the things I love the most about you is your accent. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah. It's you're quite, um. It is. And your voice in general is just very beautiful and calming. And like I said, I don't know how else to describe that, but Every time I hear you speak in our study group, it means something to me. So mm-hmm. if nothing else, hopefully that's affirmation mm-hmm. that that letter is true. Love it. Embrace it. Thank it's beautiful. You. And I'm sorry anyone else made you feel differently throughout that first 20 years. In the next 20 years, go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yes. Okay. How about this one? As an influential woman, if others find themselves in a pit of fear or doubt, what could you mm. say to help them rise up out of it? Oh, my goodness imposter syndrome is real and it's painful and um that is a something that causes us to to come from a place to come to come from a place of fear right Mm -hmm. and um i was just you know one thing i would share is in as part of the journey is that i've come to understand that it is embedded like it comes from systemic discrimination right it -hmm. comes from a lack of representation of people like me in many fields when you don't have people like you, right, there to, to set up an example that you that even mentor you, mentorship is so important, right? You start to doubt everything you do. Oh my goodness, when am I going to get fired because I said that? Nobody else is saying that. Nobody else is saying it how I say it, you know, with my accent or the, you know, the, the phrases that I use, I sound ridiculous. You start doubting all of those things and then the microaggressions to come mm-hmm. in and, and, you know, you start doubting everything. We need to be kind to ourselves and actually have this awareness that it is embedded in the system, right? There are not a lot of people like us there. So we are paving the way. So give yourself some credit. It can be drawn, like overwhelming and, and you know, exhausting. But the truth is that we are fighting stereotypes just by being there. We're fighting to be our authentic selves. Don't let that fear overtake you. Don't come from that place, right? Embrace the fact that imposter syndrome exists, but then understand why and keep fighting to be your authentic self. I think that's my major accomplishment in my journey, that when I go to work, I feel like I can be myself my authentic self. I'm hard on myself sometimes, I know, but now I know why. I'm not, like I said before, going to let other people define me, and I'm not going to be this professor or professional that other people want me to be. I can't, Sarah. My experiences inform who I am, my culture. I'm proud of it. I want my students to be proud of it. So that's how we stop coming from this place of fear. That's what I would say. Sarah, again, I love it. I love the passion in your voice. My <laughs> response rate was really bad right there because I was just wanting to hear you forever go on and on because oh. it feels so good to hear 
that empowerment in your voice and it speaks to us. You know, those of us listening, we hear that. And the concept of imposter syndrome being real for everyone, but also from that vantage or that lens of systemic racism and Mm -hmm. all of the bias that's built in is just so very real. And I'm so grateful that you are representing and that you are willing to say, I'm going to be who I am, not who the academic world wants me to be. And I just know, which is evidence and proof positive that you being you is the right way that you were recognized as professor of the year last year, because that's what the students (laughs) need too, is for you to be you. And so thank you for giving us the rest permission to do that too, right? (laughs) No, I'm thankful for the community and everyone, right? That's how we take care of each other. Just don't stop, Marilyn. You are on a roll. I love it. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. You either. You keep doing what is in your heart for you to do, Sarah. Okay? Yeah. Keep doing that, please. I'll keep listening to you. We'll we'll keep we'll figure this out together. Oh, my friend, I have had such a great time chatting with you today. And I just know that my listeners have been so blessed by your message today. And they're gonna want to get a hold of you. So is there a best way for them to engage with you after this interview? Yes, they can look up my uh, page at uh, Cardinal Stritch where I work. Um, my email too. I have social media and I have a LinkedIn account that I have to be honest, I'm not very up to date with everything, but you know, they can look me up there too. So email my webpage at Stritch and LinkedIn. Social media, I keep it more for personal, but you know, sometimes I get messages there and I respond to. Yeah, that's great. We will be sure, Lisa and I, to link those in the show notes so that you don't have to stalk Marilyn and it would be really easy to contact her. <laughs> um, so we'll make sure to do that in the show notes as always. And I just one more time want to thank you, Marilyn. Your message on this podcast and your gift to the world is very big. And I'm so grateful that you'd be willing to come on the show to share. And also just want to thank you for being who you are. It allows the rest of us to be that. And you are shining a great big light in this world. Gracias, Sara. Thank you. I continue to be completely awe-inspired by every single guest on this podcast. And I am so grateful every time you choose to share, rate, review an episode. It matters so greatly to the mission and the message of our guests. And I appreciate every time you help one another rise by lifting up the message. Thank you so much. And I appreciate you being a part of this awe-inspiring community.